All right, happy Father's Day to everybody, to the fathers and I guess to the mothers too. What difference does it make, really? <laughs> happy Father's Day. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to be in verses 13 through 21. We're going to continue our study in the parables of Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And this is the parable of the rich man's meditation. The rich man's meditation. We're going to be talking today about your money. I didn't choose this one. It was just on my list. So um, I'm not purposely talking about your money. But it, it actually turns out Jesus talks about money an awful lot. Um, remember last week was the two debtors, right? People that owed money. Today it's about the rich man's meditation. All right, let's get started. You know, I was thinking this week that money is a funny thing when you really think about it. In and of itself, it's just pieces of paper. If you took a $1 bill or you took a $100 bill, in the, in a, it's the same amount of ink, it's the same amount of paper or whatever it is they put in them. In and of itself, it's probably just worth a few cents. Same thing with our coins, whether it's pennies or nickels or dimes or quarters. The actual metal that goes into making them, they're, they're not worth very much at all. But the reason that money is considered valuable is our society has just decided to assign it a value as currency, right? Um, I, I can take my $1 bill and maybe I could go to some other country and they just look at it like they don't know what it is. Or we could take currency from another country and, and it's not accepted here. Because our culture, our society, our country has said, yeah, this is worth $100 or this is worth $1. Therefore, that makes it valuable. But in and of itself, it really has no value. So for us, money is important because we exchange it for things that we value. Right? For example, we, we value our life, so we exchange it for uh, a mortgage payment, or we exchange it for food. We, we value education, so we exchange money for books and tuition. We, we, we value how we look, so we exchange it for clothes. We value entertainment, so we exchange it for cable and internet access. We, we value the kingdom of God. And so we give money to our church or we give it to ministries. But, but we, we exchange it for things that we, we value. Now, obviously, there are certain things that we have to spend money on, right? As human beings, we have to be clothed, we have to be sheltered, and we have to be fed. Those are just things that we're going to spend money on. But what really tells the tale for us with regards to our money is what do we do with it when we have extra, Okay? That's, that's what really tells the tale for us. When we have extra, what do we, what do we spend it on? In Luke 12, 34, Jesus says this, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I preached a, a message, some of you may remember it, called Follow the Money. And if I could get access to your checkbook, and if I could get access to your bank account, or you could do it for mine, and I followed your money trail, I could actually find what you value in your in your life. If you followed my money trail, you'd know I like to fish because I'm always at Walmart or Academy buying worms and hooks. And you'd say, well, that guy likes to fish. We can follow the money trail and actually see what someone values or see what someone treasures in their, in their life. So we can see, or should be pretty obvious to you and I, that money has the, uh, the capacity or the propensity to be helpful or hazardous to us, right? It, it can show that you value things more than God, which of course is hazardous, 
but it also can show that you value God more than money, which is, of course, is, is helpful. So it turns out that money, when you really think of it, is a, is a measuring stick or a barometer of what's in your heart. Now, Jesus, he just said it, Luke 12, 34, where your money is, there will your treasure be also, right? That's what he's saying. When you look at your money, it is a measuring stick or a barometer of the status of your, your heart. So whenever Jesus talks about money, we should listen very closely. We shouldn't just go on by it and move on because it's, money is a very important thing. Not just, again, not just because we exchange it for things that we value, because it really has a way of showing you what's really inside your heart. What do you really value in this world? And that's really what today's parable is all about. Now, if you got your Bibles open right there, and, and we won't go all the way back up to verse 1, but if you would go back up to verse 1 and look very quickly, you'll find out that Jesus is, is teaching, and he's surrounded by a huge crowd. In Luke 12, 1, it says this, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. So there's probably at least 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 people are just getting, trying to get access to Jesus. They're literally stomping on one another. They're literally tramping on one another. So he's got this huge crowd around him on this day. Okay, so it's not just a small crowd. It's not just one person here or there. There is a ton of people all, all around him. Now, I want you to put yourself in this scene. You just saw there's this huge crowd. Everybody's trampling on one another. Everybody's trying to get access to Jesus. They're pushing and they're shoving. And some guy, this one guy in this huge crowd, says something to him. Look at verse 13. So someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, listen, it's not hard to figure this guy out, is it? Here's Jesus teaching. He's probably talking about heaven, he's talking about hell, he's talking about salvation, he's talking about sin, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about all these high things, spiritual things. And this guy somehow makes it close enough to Jesus to, so that Jesus can hear him. I mean, somehow or another, he's fought his way through the crowd. He's got a chance to say something to God. He's got a chance to say something to the Messiah, to the Savior. You remember the lawyer. You remember the, the rich young ruler. They got close enough to Jesus and they say, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? One of them's motives was good. The other one's motives was bad. But at least they asked a relevant question, didn't they? What does this guy say? He's got one shot. Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So it's not hard to figure this guy out, right? This guy, this guy's worried about one thing and one thing only. Give me my money. I'm worried about my money. I mean, this guy is a materialist. I mean, again, the Lord of the universe is standing in front of him and all he can worry about is that his brother shares the inheritance. So he thinks this is like a Tony Robbins seminar or something. I, I don't know what he thinks, but, but he thinks somehow I'm, this guy's gonna help me get my, get my, my money. So we, it's not hard to figure this guy out and what his, his motives are. Now, there's not a whole lot of, uh, of, 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 not much to gain in speculating on his motives. More than likely, in that day, they didn't do it like we do today. Today, if a, if a father dies and, and he'll, he'll kind of separate his inheritance out to all the kids, they didn't do that in that day. In that day, it wasn't so much about making sure all the kids got 
taken care of. It was about making sure that what you had got passed down. So in the Jewish, in the Jewish society, whatever the father had went to the oldest son. That was just the way it worked. Everything you had went to the oldest son. Whether he deserved it, didn't deserve it, didn't really matter, that's the way it worked. So more than likely, this guy was a younger brother, and his older brother had gotten it. We don't know this for sure. Again, we don't know the circumstances, but more than likely, he was a younger brother. His older brother had gotten all the money, and he wants Jesus to say, tell my older brother to share that money with me. We don't know. But suffice it to say, this man has no interest in the spiritual whatsoever. He's interested in one thing, and that is materialism. He's interested in getting his share of the, of the money. Now, at this point, Jesus is confronted with a choice. You see, he can, will he get drawn into this nitty-gritty details of this inheritance dispute? Will he allow himself to get drawn down into the nitty-gritty details of this family inheritance money dispute. Now, that's his choice. He can either do it or not do it. And you'll see his reply is not sympathetic at all. Look at verse 14. So Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? This would be, in the Greek, this is like me or you calling somebody mister. This is not a term of endearment. This is not a term uh, uh, that you would use when you know somebody. This is like saying, Mr., you need to get yourself straight, or Mr., you need to do this. It's a, it's a term that's a title used for a stranger. It's, in other words, Jesus is saying, look, I, I don't know you. We don't know each other. Why, why would I get involved in your family dispute? Who, in, who, uh, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? So his reply here is not sympathetic at all. So he is not going to allow himself to be drawn, into, again, into these nitty-gritty details of this inheritance dispute. But he does have something that he wants to say. And it's a warning not only to this man. In fact, we've, we talked in some of the parables, a lot of our parables, Jesus is doing personal evangelism. Jesus is not doing that here. He's going to be talking to the crowd. He's going to be talking to them. Therefore, he is talking to who? He's talking to us. This is, for, this is for everyone. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, notice, not to him. He's not talking to this man any longer. He's talking to everybody that can hear. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I circled that word life. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus sees in front of him a man that is obsessed with getting his money. Again, we know that because he's, he's staring the Lord of the universe in the eye and all he can, all he can worry about is, I'm not going to get my, my money. And, and, and I'm reminded of Matthew 13, 22. And we, and we hadn't got to this parable yet. We'll get here in a, in a couple, three weeks. And that is the parable of the seed or the parable of the sower where Jesus says the cares of the world, and read those two, uh, three words with me in yellow, the deceitfulness of riches. Have you ever asked yourself, what, how do riches deceive us? <clears throat> how do riches deceive us? In particular, how are they deceiving this man? You see, Jesus sees in front of him a man that's being deceived by riches. And he, and he puts out a warning not only to him but to everyone. Be careful. Be on your guard. I mean, this, the idea here is you're constantly aware. You're constantly looking. Be on your guard 
because your life does not consist in what you have. So, so the question here I'm asking is, how do riches deceive us? How does money deceive us? You see, the money is saying to this man, and, and again, we're just kind of winging it here, but you can kind of see this man's thought process. The money is saying to him, look, if you lose me, if you don't get your share of this inheritance, you're going to lose what life could really be for you. In other words, the money is saying, look, I'm your life. If you get me, you're going to be able to drive a better chariot. You're going to live in a bigger house. You're going to have a better donkey. And you're going to get some servants and eat better. And you're just going to have a better life. It, life will, you will only really be able to live life if you have money, if you have me. See, that's what the inheritance is saying to him. 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this. He says, they, talking about the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And watch what he says, that they may take hold of that which is what? Truly life. See, riches says, this is life. If you have me, if you got more money, you get a bigger house, you can go to better restaurants, you can, uh, you can have a bigger boat, you can have more free time. That's what life really is. Paul says, no, that's, that's deception. That's not life. This is life. Jesus Christ is life. In fact, see, that's why money is so dangerous to us. It has the ability to deceive you into putting your trust in it. And, it, and when it does that, it keeps you from that which is truly life. It keeps telling you, come over here, come over here, come over here, get more money, go after this career, go after all this stuff, because this is life, and true life is over here with Jesus Christ. So money is like that, that siren song that's always pulling us away, always deceiving us to think this is life. Paul says no. See, in the end, money, not only is it not your life, it can take true life from you. That's why money is, is so dangerous. And that's why Jesus said, look, be on guard. Be on guard. Be aware. Be, always be aware as a Christian because money is always trying to deceive you. And that's why Paul warns against it. 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a, into a snare. You see that? See, money is like that bait. It baits you up over here. Come on over here. Come on over here. I got something for you. This is life, man. And you just... You walk over there, and, and next thing you know, boom, it's got you. It's absolutely got you. It's a temptation. It's a, it's a snare. So Paul, that's why Jesus said, be aware, be careful, be on your guard, because that's not life. So it's no wonder, if you, if you think about all this, it's no wonder that Jesus won't get drawn into the nitty-gritty details of this inheritance dispute, because what's at stake is much bigger than that. What's at stake is much bigger than just some man getting his share of the money. See, Jesus understands that the, the issue at, here with this man is not whether he gets his fair share. The issue is, is whether wanting that fair share so much will destroy him. That's, that's the issue. So Jesus would, would never go down into those details. He's going to confront the spiritual issue, and that is the love of money. You see, the human heart, yours and mine, is so vulnerable to feeling that having lots of things equals to being really alive. Let me say that again. Our heart is so vulnerable to thinking that if I have lots of things, that's what it really means to be alive. Let me read verse 15 again. And he, Jesus, said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. See, having stuff is not life. Life is knowing God. John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what life is all about. Now, Jesus wants to make that clear to them on this day. And so to do that, he's going to tell a parable. So look at, let's look at verses 16 through 21. And he told them a parable. Once again, who's he talking to? The, he's talking to everybody. He's talking to thousands of people. He's talking to, to you and I. This isn't just for this man. This is for all human beings. And he told them a parable. So again, this is for you and for me. Let's read it. And he told them a parable, 16 through 21, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have room to store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you. And those things that you have prepared, whose will they be? See, this is the materialist worst nightmare, that somebody else gets it all. I used to have a, a, a pastor years ago, and I was thinking about this, and every once in a while, he would hold up his key ring. And he'd say, this is, a, you know, this is the key to my house, this is the key to my truck, this is the key to my gun cabinet, this is the key to my shop, this is the key to my camper, whatever the case may be. One day, that every one of those keys will belong to somebody else. Right? He used to say it all the time. One day, everything I got will go to somebody else. Let me tell you, that happens 100% of the time. It's true for him. It's true for me. It's true for the rich man in this parable. I don't, you, you, you gather and gather and get and work and get and get, and then one day you die and some fool gets it all. No, the guy didn't work for it, didn't try for it, didn't do anything. It, it, in 100% of the cases, somebody gets it all. Listen, Solomon... The world's wisest man, look what he said in Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 19. He said, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I worked and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Solomon says, this is the vainest thing I've ever seen. I work and I use my wisdom and I work and toil and I get all this stuff and then I die and somebody else gets it. He said, how's that fair? How's that, how's that right? But listen, it was true for Solomon. It is true for you and me and this rich man. Somebody else always gets it. Now, I think it's critical this morning that we understand something, Okay. Listen to me very closely. It is not a bad thing when your land produces plenty. I want to make sure everybody understands that. It is not a bad thing when your business prospers. It's not a bad thing when you receive a promotion and, and get, a, get a, pay, a, a pay increase. Those are not bad things. It's, money in itself is not a bad thing. And having money is not a bad thing. Okay, that, That's not the evil. The evil in this parable is not the money. It's not the fact that the man had more grain than he, than he knew what to do with. He's not being called a fool for being a productive farmer. 
He's not being called a fool for making money. See, God knows this world needs businesses that thrive to create jobs, doesn't he? He knows that. He, we need productive farmers. We need to, to feed people. We need all these things. That's not the bad. That's not the evil in this parable. That's not why he's called a fool. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Why is he called a, a fool? Well, I would put it this way. The way in which he used the increase of his riches shows what he really values in his heart. You remember I said earlier, there's all things we need to do with money, right? We've got to buy clothes, we've got to have shelter, we've got to have food. What really tells the tale for you and I is what do we do when we have extra? What do we do with our money when we have extra? You see, when he had extra, what he did with that showed what he really valued in his heart. And he gave no indication that God even entered his thoughts. He just kept building bigger and bigger and bigger barns. Now listen, that might be okay if you were storing up grain so that maybe next year you could have more to give to the poor or, or, or doing something that God might want you to do with that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with building bigger barns. But notice what he says. I will say to my soul, so... You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? See, how he plans to use his wealth, how he plans to use his extra, says one thing. My treasure, what I value, is relaxing, eating, drinking, and having fun. That's Everybody with me? That's what he values. He has, he's got all this extra, and he says, how can I use this? I know what I'll do. I'm going to put it toward what I really value, relaxing, eating, drinking, and having fun. That's my life. That's what life is to me, and, and the riches in my barns are going to make that, that possible. Now, what's wrong with that? Let me tell you, there'd be nothing wrong with that if there's not a God. There'd be nothing wrong with that if there's not a resurrection. And Paul himself said that in 1 Corinthians 15. We studied that a few weeks ago. If the dead are not raised, let's do what? Let's eat, drink, relax, have fun, because tomorrow you're going to die, and there ain't nothing after that. See, if there's not a God and there's not a resurrection, build bigger barns, make more money, relax, eat, drink, have fun, make that your life, because when you die, that's it. That's what Paul said, if there's no resurrection. But guys, listen, there is a God, and there is a resurrection, and there is a judgment, and there is a kingdom on the other side when we die. So that man is called a fool. Again, not because... Not because he made more money, not because he had a bunch of stuff, not because of that, because he used his riches in a way that shows he valued things more than he values God. He valued relaxation, eating, drinking, and having fun more than he valued the kingdom of God. And here's the key, the concluding verse that makes the point most clearly. Look at verse 21. So is the one... I mean, here's the whole point of the parable... So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, this phrase, rich toward God, is kind of an unusual phrase. You don't see it used very much in the Bible. What does it mean? Well, the meaning tends to be plain from the contrast, right? That man was not rich toward God. Well, why wasn't he rich toward God? Because he laid up treasure for himself not toward God or not for the kingdom of God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of treating the self as though it were made for things and not 
for God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of acting as if life it, it consists of the things that we have and our abundance of possessions as opposed to the abundance of knowing God. Rich toward God is means our heart is drawn toward God as our treasure. It means we count God as greater riches than anything on earth. It means that we use our money to show how much we value God. You see, this is what this farmer failed to do. And the result that he, he literally was a damned fool. Because he was a fool, and the Bible says he lost his soul. He was damned for eternity. All because he, when he had abundance, he didn't think, what would God want me to use for this? See, again, it's not that he's, that he's earning anything. It's a barometer of what's in his heart. That's why no one understanding our money, understanding how God views our money, understanding what we should do with our money and treat our money is incredibly important for a Christian. And this is why money is so hazardous. As I said earlier, it's a, it's a temptation. It lures us away from that which is truly life, and it's a snare. And it says, hey, come over here, and, and I'll make your life great. You'll just have these bigger houses and bigger things. And it's going to be awesome. And in the end... It's a snare and a temptation, and you are destroyed. Once again, and I want to make this clear, the issue is not that the man's fields prospered. That's not a problem. The issue lay in what he did with it. Now, here's the thing. I ask myself this question. If God had been his treasure, what might he have done? Anybody? It, it, shared it with others? Anybody else? Yeah, in some way he would have looked at it. I mean, here, here should have been his prayer. God, this is all yours. You made my fields prosper, right? We understand that. God is the one that gives the rain. God is the one that gives the increase. Show me how to take this increase and express it in a way that shows that you are my treasure, that you are what I value. I don't need a bigger... He, if his heart was rich toward God and his trust was in God, see, what he had was a big old safety net, didn't he? See, he could have prayed, Lord, I don't need a bigger safety net. I don't need better food, better drink, better parties, bigger houses, better chariots, better donkeys. I don't need all that stuff. Show me how to use this money to show that I value you. In other words, Lord, you have taught me it's better to give than to receive. Let me walk that out in my life. Show me how I can use this, this grain. Show me how I can use this increase to help other people and show that you are my greatest treasure. This is a very, very simple parable with a very straightforward meaning. You are a fool if you lay up treasure to spend only on yourself without a thought as to how God wants you to use your wealth. And by the way, if you sit here this morning and you say, I, I'm not wealthy, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Compared to 98% of the world, you are stinking, filthy rich. You are rich. You are one of the wealthy ones. We all probably in this room, you know, there's some in here that have more extra than others, but we all have, we all have the ability to share. We all have the ability to give. So this parable hits right at home with us because it tells us we are a fool if we're spending all that extra on ourselves and not giving a thought toward what God would like me to do with that. Now, I want to close this morning. I've got about 15 minutes. How do we apply this parable to our own lives today? How do we apply this parable to our own lives today? Um, obviously, we don't want to be like that guy, right? 
I mean, that's the whole point of the parable. Don't be like that guy, right? That, that's the point he wants to get across to everybody. We want to be rich toward God. We want to use our money in a way, once again, that shows that we value him more than things in this life, that he is our greatest treasure. But how do we do that? I want to give you four things that you can do this morning to both guard against the hazard of money, but also, at the same time, turn your money into something that's helpful. Okay? We want to guard against the hazard, but at the same time, we want our money to be helpful when it comes to knowing God and valuing God. So I'm going to give you four things. Number one, study the Bible. Now, you may say, well, that makes... Why would I study my, my Bible to, 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 to guard against the hazard of money? I want you to study your Bible not just to check it off a checklist, not just to say, you know, I, I read that passage today and that's, that's good. I want you to study your Bible in order to see and savor Jesus Christ above anything else. When you get in that Bible, it, Jesus said, go to the Word because it's about who? He said, it's about me. The Old Testament is about me. The Psalms are about me. The new, everything is about me. We need to go to that Bible, not again, not just as a checklist, but to see Jesus, to see His glory and His majesty and His beauty. And, 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 because the more we see that, the more we'll treasure Him, the more we'll value Him, the, the more we'll, we'll savor Him for who He is. You see, we always start here. Because remember, the rich man's problem was not his money. What was his problem? It was his heart. See, that, that's why, you don't. I, I mean, we don't, listen, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with, with having uh, life groups that talk about handle hand of your money. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, you start right here. Because I can give you all the lessons in the world about handle your money, and if you don't value Jesus the way you should, you'll never be rich toward God. You've got to see Him, man, in, the, in these pages for who He is, and you've got to say, man... I've never seen anything like that. I, man, here, I, I want more people to know about you. Where can I write this check? I, need those, I want those people to hear about you. How can I help do that? See, knowing about Jesus and savoring Him, we find that in the Word of God, and that's what changes our, our heart. 1 Peter 1, 13-14, I want you to listen to this. This is a really cool scripture. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to get until you read it a few times, but it's really cool what it says. It, uh, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. All right? This morning, we want to prepare our minds, we want to prepare our hearts to, to be rich toward God, right? He says this, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will brought, be brought to you. How? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Where does that come from? The Word of God. And watch what he says, As obedient children... Don't be conformed to the passions of your ignorance. You see the difference there? Ignorance, revelation. Ignorance, revelation. Ignorance, revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to set your mind, you want your mind to be transformed, get in the Word of God, not just so you can check it off your list, but so that you can see Jesus. And you can know Jesus and see Him for who He really is. That's why we study. So embark on a daily quest to see Jesus the way Paul saw him. Listen to this man. Tell me what this man's heart is saying. Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as garbage. 
bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger fishing boats, better restaurants, whatever. That's trash. It's not even to be compared to the idea of knowing him. I mean, it's garbage. That's a man who's the exact opposite end of the spectrum from, the, from that farmer, who, who, the rich man who, who had more grain and had to build bigger barns. Paul says, why do I need all that? That's garbage. That'd be like building bigger barns to store garbage in. That's, that's the height of stupidity. I want to know Jesus. That's why we read our Bible. Number two, pray. Pray that seeing Jesus this way in his word would free us from the love of money. Psalms 119.36, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. See, that's a prayer of the psalmist. He's praying. He said, Lord, incline my heart to this word that I just read. Incline my heart to that, not to that. Incline my heart toward you, not toward things, not toward selfish gain. That's why we pray. Number three, trust. Trust in the promises of God and His Word for your every need to be met, both in your personal life in the church. If you've got your Bibles open right there, I forget where we ended. Was it 21? If you keep reading, look at start. I'm just going to, this is a long passage. I'm going to read it very quickly. This starts in verse 22. He's talking to thousands of people. Look what he says. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, well, we could stop right there. I, I tell you, I read some studies this week. I was going through the news. And, and I, do you know how, I, I cannot believe, and we won't go through all this, but there was some statistics about people being depressed and, and suffering anxiety. I, it's unbelievable how many people out there, I mean, 30, 40, like 30, I think it was like 30, almost 40% of women, almost 40% of teenage girls, Worried, anxious, worried and anxious. And look what Jesus says. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Uh, don't worry about your body, how you're going to clothe yourself. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse or a barn to put stuff up in. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are, or more valuable are you than those birds? He goes on. And which of you, by the way, being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? I mean, we worry and worry. Does it help at all? It, doesn't do, it makes absolutely zero difference. He says, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink. Don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Man, what a promise. What incredible words. If the blackbirds, if the lilies of the field, they don't worry about all that stuff, and he takes care of them, how much more valuable are you? 
a, a child of God that Jesus died for. I'll take care of you. You don't need this huge safety net. Don't worry about that. You've got a big safety net, and his name's Jesus, and he loves you. Remember that. Number four, and this may seem odd. This is a, this is a, uh, a replay from Corinthians. If you want your money to be helpful and not a hazard, one of the ways you do it is you give it away. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Now, that is a command, is it not? Yes or no? Well, if God commands us to do something like that, shouldn't He give us ways to do it? Shouldn't He give us weapons to fight, that to guard our heart against the love of money? Absolutely, He does. He doesn't just give us a command and then without providing us a weapon. And the weapon that he gives you to guard against the love of money is the weapon of giving. It's a gift we've been given called giving. Let me explain what I mean. Every time you give your money, you have to deal with thoughts. I mean, every time you write a check to the church, you have to deal with your thoughts. Boy, what could I do with this? Yes or no? Boy, if I just had this in my bank account... What could I do with that money? And by the way, that constant struggle, that's important. That's important to maintain that, that, that struggle. See, when we give, especially on a regular basis, it's a test of what's in our heart. It's a test of what we value the most. Do I value the advancement of His name, or do I value my comfort? Do I value the advancement of the kingdom, or do I value my comfort? Do I, am I giving this money to someone to help them because the Bible says so and I believe that's going to store up treasure for me in heaven? Or is it more important that I relax, eat, drink, and have more fun? Which is more important? We face that battle every single time we give. And every single time you win that battle and you give your money away, guess what you're saying? I value you, Jesus, more than I value things. I value you, God, more than I value things. I value your kingdom more than I value things. That's why giving is such a wonderful weapon against, uh, against the love of money in our own life. It, it actually turns out that giving is an antidote to the love of money. It's a protection against building bigger barns. Right? I, I said this when I taught Corinthians. I, you know, we, we, we all probably are driving some car, and, but most of us are not driving the car we'd really like to drive. Right? I mean, I've got, I've always wanted a Range Rover. I don't know why. You know, I just think they're the coolest cars, you know. And they're like $100,000. So, but they, it never actually enters my mind to buy one because I can't afford it. But what if all of a sudden I just quit giving and I started sacking all this money away? Well, one day I, I might look up and I could afford that thing. But you see, giving that money away, can, you know, keeping my income down here, I, makes me not even think about. Is that what, you understand what I'm saying? Because it's it's an antidote. It's an antidote to the love of money. It's an antidote to bigger barns, bigger cars, bigger houses. If you just give it uh, away, I, I think we could all agree that when it comes to money, there's an almost infallible human rule in this world: spending expands to fill the income. Yes or no? <laughs> I mean, if you're not one of them people, I, you're 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 different. Pretty much, you get, a, you get more income, you buy bigger things. You get more income, you buy better things. That, whatever you, it just keeps going up. You don't, you know, but if you have less, you spend less. You have more, 
you spend more. If you make more, you buy more, and the things you buy have to be insured and taken care of and, and repaired, and the thing just goes on. Spending begets spending. But if you have less at your disposal, you spend less. Okay? As Christians, how do we restrain ourselves from being just like the world? How do we restrain ourselves from filling up our barns and building bigger barns? How do we restrain ourselves from looking to the world that we have the same values as they do? How do we do that? The answer to that is that as our income grows, as we give extra, as we have extra, we just give it away. We give more. We resolve to give more of our income to the kingdom of God. This puts the brakes on our natural impulse toward luxury. As I was preparing for this lesson, I uh, ran across a statement from John Piper. I don't know how many of y'all know who John Piper is, but uh, he was a pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minnesota for years and years and years, probably 30-something years, and he's a prolific writer of books. I mean, this man writes book after book after book after book, and these books sell, go to Christian bookstore, and when they sell, he makes money. So he, he ran into this problem a long time ago. What do I do with all this money? Do I, do I build bigger houses? Do I, can I get better cars? Can I, what, is I, what do I do with this money? So I want you sh- when he started writing books, this is what he did. This is his quote. He says, The first thing I do, I surrender the copyrights and all the royalties of all my books to the Desiring God Foundation. This is a, a foundation that's set up, which keeps about $10,000 in the bank and gives the rest away. I have no legal access to any of this money. Secondly, I surrender all of my honorariums, which are speaking fees, I surrender them all to desiring God in my church. He goes on. This way, I limit my income to only what my church pays me. Thirdly, each year, Noel, as his wife and I, as a regular practice, increase not only the amount we give to Bethlehem from our salary, but the percentage as well. So what is he doing? He's guarding himself against the love of money. Isn't he? How's he doing that? Give it away. You, you, you can't spend on yourself what you don't have. So every piece of money he makes from the book, gives it away. All of his speaking fees, gives it away. And every year, even as his church gives him a raise, he just raises what he gives. He just keeps doing that because he, he knows how important it is to guard ourselves against the love of money. How do we make money more helpful in our life and less hazardous? Number one, we study the Word of God to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Number two, we pray that God would incline our heart toward the beauty of Jesus and away from selfish gain. Number three, we trust in the promises that we find in that Word. And then number four, we give it away. That's the weapon that God has, has given us to help us guard against the love of money. All right.